Welcome to Empowering Existence, the podcast that explores the different ways we can lead a fulfilling and empowered life. Many of us have experienced moments of doubt, uncertainty, and fear, wondering if we are truly living up to our potential. Maybe you feel like there's something missing in your life, or you're struggling to overcome challenges that seem insurmountable. Empowering Existence is here to help you navigate these challenges and step into your true power. Together, we'll discover the tools, insights, and perspectives that can help us overcome our challenges, unlock our potential, and create a life that is truly worth living. Now, here's your host and fellow traveler on this journey, Mark Boriosi. What is empowering existence? Basically, it suggests a focus on helping individuals develop the skills, knowledge, and confidence they need to live their best lives possible. The term empowering implies a sense of strength, encouragement, and support, while existence refers to the state of being alive and the experience that comes with it. Together, these words convey a message of hope, growth, and self-improvement, which could be very inspiring to individuals who are seeking to improve their lives and overcome challenges, which is why we have today on Empowering Existence, John Charlton, investigative reporter of WHAS 11, Louisville, Kentucky. How are you? Great to be here, Mark. Thank you. It's a pleasure. I do want to ask you some questions about your past. Do you mind that? Because I want to find out what struggles you may have encountered along this journey we call life and what you learned from those experiences and how you've used them to well, be the man you are today. Okay. I'll give you an idea. The title of this particular episode is John F. Charlton Jr. From College to Hostage to Investigative Reporter. <laughs> college to Hostage to Investigative Reporter. Well, there was a lot of years between the hostage to reporters. <laughs> college was like here to, from college to <laughs> Which is, you know, it's a title and I want to pick apart, though, you know, those different things, because it's easy to focus on the fact that, you know, your experience uh, in the Middle East was was a pretty traumatic thing that you may have learned things from. Um, but there's probably other hurdles that you've come, you know, what, and, over, you, and overcome in our relationship. You may have been the first hostage. What do you mean? Well, that one night we went out, it was a coming of age journey and you decided to drive a stranger to a strange part of town <laughs> that I thought maybe I'd never see you again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I got, I got to tell you, I would be very happy to get into that and the experience that I went through during that period. Uh, when you start a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> tell me about your experience. Cause I do want to focus on that because it did make a lot of press at the time. Uh, I believe it was 1992. Uh, when you were taken to Baghdad. What was that experience like? Well, it was crazy, I guess you could say. Uh, kind of weird to think about it, you know, all these years later. <clears throat> but that, I guess you could say that uh, crisis that turned into a war, um, all that, was kind of the beginning of really the instability in that that part of the of the Middle East that has led us to where we are now because it kind of started with well Saddam Hussein who invaded Kuwait and basically that 
that has kind of driven uh, a lot of foreign policy from the United States since, right? Wouldn't you say? I would agree with that. What was it like? What was going on at that time? Where were you when uh, everything changed? What was the series of events? Because I mean, we I know we joke about it and stuff like that at times because it's over. But at the time, it had to be you know a struggle. It had to be terrifying. I know, I know from what I understand, there were even mock executions periodically, which people you know will definitely you know get PTSD from. Yeah. Um, so what what did you see happening? What were you doing? Um, well, I know from our past that you know, I know you were, I believe, walking the dog with the no, no fire. No. First happened when it, wow, you, you got to go back to when I was in bed sleeping. <laughs> so when it happened, I was sleeping and my mom came in and threw on the light and said, uh, pack a bag. Um, the Iraqis have crossed the border, are invading Kuwait and get a bag ready for uh you know, get a bag ready for a quick maybe evacuation or, you know, to, to flee. And so then, you know, you're like, what, what? And then you're like packing your bag real, real quick. And then my dad uh, was called into the embassy to help with uh, destroying classified documents and things like that. Um, and then, you know, we just kind of hunkered down and waited and you could just hear the, uh, the fighting get louder and louder because it was getting closer and closer until it was right in the middle of around us in the middle of the city and it was all around us but of course we had our dog lady with us and she had to go to the bathroom at times so i'd have to go down to the pool area of the apartment we're in and walk her um around there while gunshots and things were going off and it was just uh it was pretty surreal you know so Ended up coming back in to the apartment lobby after taking her out. And uh, there was a soldier in the lobby. And at that point, we knew that they were rounding up Westerners, um, you know, which would be used later as human shields to protect strategic locations from the Iraqi military and government. So I didn't know if this guy was um, a Kuwaiti army or if he was Iraqi army. Just walked in and looked at each other and kind of nodded our heads and I went right back up to our apartment with the dog and got in there and locked the door and said, uh, there was a soldier in the, <laughs> in the lobby. So, um, we just had all our curtains drawn, uh, heavy curtains on the, the windows, because if there are any kind of explosions nearby, the windows could shatter and the curtains would help, you know, block the, the glass and all that. So we basically hunkered down for that evening, not knowing, what the status was on us getting out of Kuwait. Um, and yeah, so not much sleep that first night, you know, could imagine definitely. And then the following day it was, uh, we were told that an embassy vehicle would come, come at some point to pick us up and bring us to the embassy. Um, which happened, uh, unfortunately they told us we couldn't bring our dog, which was like, what, you know, that was upsetting. And so we just put out bowls of water and food for lady and said goodbye and you know hopefully we could figure something out got to the embassy and people were like you know a lot of people were like it was a lot of commotion going on and figuring things out and people in shock and scared and all that kind of stuff and then of course the first thing i saw was the was the dog that our the 
the head of security uh, for the embassy had his dog there on, on, on the compound. And it was like, from what I understand, it was his uh, decision not to allow people to bring their pets. So we were just wow. like, this is a bunch wow. of yes, I'm going back to get my dog. Mm-hmm. And um, that's what my dad actually did to end up doing a day or two later, getting lady and bringing her to the embassy compound. So, and she was such a good dog. She didn't go to the bathroom at all in, in the apartment for two, two days straight, I think. So when oh. we got her back, that was definitely a, a sigh of relief. I can imagine. Then over the next several weeks, it was kind of just waiting to see how things played out. And then there were episodes where we thought the Iraqis were going to, I guess, uh, storm the embassy and, you know, overtake us. So that was a bit scary. And, uh, you know, there was like a lot of different chapters in that whole situation. But eventually, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you want to know about like the journey to Baghdad. But that I know was, it was a. I know you mentioned it was a long one. Yeah, it was uh, about. It's a. I would say it was over twenty hours journey straight mm-hmm. through the desert and going through Iraqi checkpoints and military. Um, you know where they were setting up in the desert and stuff like that. Um, we were in a big convoy, convoy of embassy vehicles. We had X's on top of we with tape put on top of our cars like on the roofs so that the you know the u.s could see monitor our movements and also realize that we're not (laughs) targets you know now was this the was this the u.s embassy or was this the iraqi forces that were taking you to baghdad at this point uh we had uh embassy escort he came down from the the embassy in baghdad (laughs) to get us okay I got lead us up there. And then I, I'm not sure if there were Iraqi, another Iraqi vehicle kind of leading it too, but he definitely was, you know, in charge and he, uh, he spoke the language and all that and had all the credentials and was, you know, had all the contacts with the foreign ministry in, in Iraq to, to make sure it all went as planned, you know, but in those yeah. situations, they don't always go as planned. <laughs> right. I can imagine. Yeah. So you arrive in, in Baghdad and then uh, yeah, so settle, we were you just settle in? No, we were supposed to go through there to to leave for Jordan. So we were supposed to, uh, I guess the Iraqi government's plan for us was to get to Baghdad, be processed, and then given you know the paperwork to leave for another journey to J- the Jordanian border and leave through there. But when we got there, the Iraqis changed the, the game on us. Mm-hmm. And they said, oh, nope, you're not leaving. <laughs> was it everyone or was it, was it men? And, that, was, uh, that was everyone. Everyone at that time. And then there was, of course, a couple days there. I mean, in retrospect, it was like when they did say that we weren't leaving that night, it was kind of like a bit relieving because we were all so exhausted. And we could, uh, we could the, use the it to, yeah, to, to just kind of recharge. So over the next couple of days or so, um, it was agreed upon that all the women and dependents, meaning children or the dependents of the parents who were there, either living with the parents or visiting from college, um, were allowed to leave. But this time we had to go to, through the border with Turkey. So... Okay. 
but that was a that was another journey that took even longer to get up there but now here me and two other college students were the oldest males on the drive and then we had our dog with us too lady finally got up to the border there and there was like tens of thousands of refugees or displaced people um that were camped out hoping to get across you know and we had to drive through that whole crowd and they were all looking at us and like hey uh why are you guys getting through and we're not and tell our government we need to we need help to get out of here and all that kind of stuff so that was you know pretty crazy so then we got up to the border there in between Iraq and uh Turkey and the border officials stamped all our well they were supposed to give us all exit visas in our passports and then there was they saw that me and the two other college students who are over 18 they're like well they're not going they're not children they're you know, men that men. could potentially come back and fight us. So why would we allow them to leave? And then there was a whole back and forth on that between our embassy representative and their government and foreign ministry. So that was going back and forth for a while. And we got the, then they was agreed upon to let us go. So we got the exit visas in our passports. And then right before we were about to leave, which, I mean, this is all going on for like seven hours. And right. right before we were about to leave, they demand ordered our, us to get the, our passports back. And then they canceled our exit visas, the three of us. <laughs> wow. So then my mom and my sister and the dog had to, could cross over with all the other women and children. And we had to go back to Baghdad. Um, wow. Which was Long like, trip back. oh my gosh. So, but just, you know, we, we waited to watch them cross and it was kind of like they were crossing over in the distance and, and they're in no man's land, they call it, you know, basically that territory between borders where it's kind of like nobody has a real claim to it. And right. they, uh, well, I guess it was still part of Iraq because they stopped my, all the cars up there and ordered all the women and children to get out of the cars and we're, we were, I remember us seeing, seeing that and going, why are they stopped over there, you know? And when I finally got out months later, I, I found out that they basically told them to get out and they thought they were going to get shot or executed. But they were just basically playing mind games and telling them to be thankful that it, the Iraqi government has let them go, you know? Right, yeah. Part of the mind games. But then got in a pickup truck in the back. Well, it was, you know, had a passenger backseat passenger seats in the pickup truck got in there and we headed back to Baghdad um it was actually an Iraqi national that worked at the embassy that was driving but I was so tired I was like you know I'm just gonna sleep I, I can't stay up and it was bumpy drive but I was I was out but I was also nervous because in the back in the truck bed it was full of gasoline canisters and I was like the way this right. guy's driving and then we get <laughs> rooted it's you know adios over. Yeah. yeah but all i remember was the sleeping through the drive and occasionally waking up when they hit got to a couple checkpoints to look at our paperwork um, but then finally got back and my dad was at the embassy in, in baghdad and got there and he goes oh you're back <laughs> right so yeah John, go back go back to when you're you're mother sister and lady i i guess were in no man's land um mm -hmm. and that that 
vehicle stops and they they're they're escorted out. Mm. Are, are you still watching this? I, mean, I know they must be in the distance, but you 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 said that. Yeah, you, we we you, could, were, you were surprised they stopped. Why are they stopped? Yeah, we we didn't have any idea why they would be stopped up there. Did um, it enter your head at any time that you were about to watch your your family executed? No. I, okay. I was like eight. Well, I was nineteen at the time. I was kind of stupid, um, because you know that whole thing was kind of at that time. I was kind of like, wow, this is quite an adventure. You so know? it's all really very. It's kind of surreal. Yeah. Okay. I, I didn't have any responsibilities, you know. I mean, right. my parents had to worry about our safety. Right. And you know. I basically just had to worry about myself and, you know, whatever I could do to help protect us. But so knowing what you know now, you may think differently if you see that. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, you always knew in the back of your head that things could go south real quick. You know, we, we expected our government to, to, really, to really make things happen and to set things straight on, on letting us out and all that. But mm-hmm. that didn't, right. it, it, it took a while, which yeah. was bit surprising but you know yeah. i don't know we all thought i think we all thought that we were going to get out a lot quicker than we did right but yeah. then you know you look back at that time to what happened in iran you know when the hostages you know the embassy was overrun in iran and they were they were hostages right. was it over a year so you just don't know but there were so many so many westerners that were stuck from okay. european countries um u.s canada we we're all just trying to figure out and we all worked together to try to figure out, you know, how to how to, you know, make sure that we all got food to eat and c- kind of coordinated that way. And also with our governments to try to negotiate our releases. So, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. And of course, during that time in Baghdad, it was you had like prominent Americans that would come and meet with Saddam Hussein and negotiate the release of certain amount of hostages, you know, a little bit here and there. Um, I mean, like, you know, um, I believe Muhammad Ali came. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Cat Stevens came and Jesse Jackson came. I was right. supposed to get out with Jesse Jackson, but that was another <laughs> failed attempt, I guess. So, yeah. So eventually I got, I finally got out in um, October. Now, did, emotionally, has have things changed since then? As you, because it seems like you were almost emotionally protected by being young. Well, um, and then as you get older, looking back, do you look at it and say, "Wow, so many things could have happened"? Because as we get older, we we start, you know, processing the, our own mortality. Did you yeah. notice that at all? Well, I, I I know that after all that happened, get, getting back to school and the routine, you know, it didn't seem to affect me. But then later, later in life, uh, you know, when I was in grad school, I was reflecting a lot about it and going through a bit of a diff- difficult time in my life. Okay. Right. And, um, you know, felt like I went through a bout of depression and stuff like that and mm-hmm. kind of thought about that whole situation a lot and how, uh, I don't know, it was, it seemed like <clears throat> back then, like when I would look back, it was strangely felt like that whole situation when you're a hostage and stuck in a foreign country with uncertainty, it seemed more simplistic than normal life in America afterwards. (laughs) It's weird. Like you're thinking, wow, that was such a simple thing where you knew you kind of had a, 
common goal and kept yourself going and you know to try to get out you know get out yeah but then I think in situations like that you're 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 really focusing on the present like you're, you're living yeah. in the now so it would be simple like you don't really have to worry about you know you're, you're grateful for where you are because yesterday was sometimes worse and you don't have any idea what the future holds because you're no longer in control right so you and, just keep your eyes on the, on, on the present you know, and which then is when, where really peace is found you know yeah I think that's true. And I think when I was in grad school, living on my own, living in a cheap, fairly cheap apartment, you know, it was kind of like, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? How am I going to get there? You know, I've got bills now. I've got, you know, a loan, an education loan, you know, there's a lot to figure everything out. Yeah. And then Based I was just on uncertainty and, and the unknown. Sure. And I mean, not to sound arrogant or whatever but at that point i was just like i'm just a just this normal person with no attention paid towards me you know back then right. oh people were worried about me and the media wanted to interview me and all that stuff now at that point i was like i'm kind of a nobody <laughs> you sure. know yeah so yeah it's just weird when you were released and came home there was a lot of fanfare and you were solicited by strangers you know, um, who found you attractive and, uh, and you were on a lot of, uh, shows. You, you did a lot of interviewing. Yeah. People at school, like, they're like, Oh, you're that guy. Hey, you know, and then it's Clyde, mm-hmm. you're that man, you know? So yeah. 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 Like you said, attention, which is, you know, a welcome thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and something you miss when it disappears. So, so keeping in line with, empowering existence you know what now looking back and, and where you're at today what can you pull out of all this experience to uh you know to, to really demonstrate who you've become like what did, what has this taught you what has it changed in you if anything oh that's hard to pinpoint i mean at this point in my life you know i've got a great wife who I've definitely outkicked my coverage with, um, but she finds me interesting and funny at times. <laughs> um, you know, I've got a house working on start, you know, trying to start a family. You know, there's still like, I still sit back and say, okay, what is my purpose in life? Mm-hmm. I've had quite a bit of success in my, my job, more professional success than monetary success, but um yeah. Well, you've won quite a few Emmys and a, and a few Merle Awards, so yeah, I would I would agree with that. Yeah, but uh, you know, you're still like mm-hmm. you still sit there and go, okay, what is my purpose in life? Where's mm-hmm. my direction? And at this point in my life, it's you know, having kids would be my right. purpose and direction, and give me much mm-hmm. more direction. So that's the next uh, challenge, <laughs> the struggle, amongst other struggles and challenges. Sure. But I am blessed, you know, with what we have and uh, got to put things in perspective. Me going into work every day and leaving work, you know, you see some really, really sad scenes with homeless people and people who are mentally ill that are out on the streets and stuff like that. So you got to kind of put things in perspective of where your life is. And I mean, you, you always strive to be better. I think the goal is to, to strive to be better, to, to, you know, grow from our struggles, but then maintain humility and gratitude along the way. Yeah. You know? um, because agree. that's very often something to, that people take for granted. You know, it's a, it's a, 
And gratitude is something that people don't pay attention to until they have to. And that's usually when they're, lo- they're losing or missing something. And they look back and go, God, you know, I, I had it made, you know, and I was always stuck on more, you know. Yeah. And uh, you know, we, we do it. The old adage is you, know, you have to stop and smell the roses and, and you do. And while you're climbing that ladder, you know, you got to stop at, at any particular rung and say, this is all right. Mm-hmm. And let go of that constant quest for more. Right. You know, problem is, is if you get obsessed with more. There's always more. Yeah. You never have a chance to, a chance to enjoy it. Yeah, I don't it know. It sounds like you, you are enjoying quite a bit of your life. I think it might be harder to sit and say, I'm in a, you know, a really good place and I'm fine with everything than it is to actually strive to do, to get better or more. Mm-hmm. You know, it's harder to, to accept that you're just fine and I'm just going to shut it down right here. <laughs> And that's a real thing. People struggle with that all the time is that they, they good enough is never good enough. Yeah. You know, and that becomes a, a, a dangerous path to be on. Now I think it's important to always grow and progress and become the best you can be. Uh, but that doesn't always equate to happiness. Yeah. Um, sometimes I think it's important to say, you know, my life is good and then take a breath and say, all right, I'm going to strive for more because I want to do more. You know, and if you do your best every day, that's all you could ask. Well, I was going to ask you as a college student, I know we communicated a couple times over the phone. Mm-hmm. What were you, what was it like for you? Like, did you ever get concerned that I wouldn't come back? Oh, absolutely. You know? Yeah. Um, and then our conversations weren't like, they, everything was censored by, you know, Iraq. You know? Or monitored, yeah. Um, exactly. And, um, you know, and I think there were even some people that you said were there, the other college students who said some, you know, derogatory things towards Iraq and Saddam Hussein, yeah. and the phone was disconnected, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, everything was very, you know, just the, just the, you know, just the details, you know. Um, well, I think so we talked uh, more about, we talked more about the good times at school. Like we what did. Doing. Right. And, and, and that was the idea. Was, about what I was doing. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. and you were making good money, uh, what, making uh, salads without lettuce or something like that, a lot of radish. <laughs> And you were uh, cleaning out um, ho- houses. Yeah, yeah um, quite a few things. Um, yeah, yeah w- it, at the time I wasn't, you know, the we were at the embassy. Um, we weren't actually, like when they say hostage, we weren't like stuck in a cell or something. We, we could move about right. around the embassy there right. mm-hmm. under watchful eye. Um, yeah. So, you know, I was doing like little projects that, the, you know, the U.S. government was actually paying me for back in the state. Right. So right. when I did get out, I had I had a little bit of money in yeah. in my account, which was nice. So, right. yeah. But I think our conversations were, were usually more about what, what I was up to, sort of so you could live vicariously through the college experience. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so we, we kept it pretty light. And, you know, so it was always a, a treat to speak to you and just know that you're okay. And then uh, we, I remember we spent most of the time laughing. Yeah. You know? because um, you're as opposed i think you were at the time that? pledging for the fraternity correct and you and, and i think your life became for a little bit almost like groundhog day where it's like you know and mm-hmm. stuff over and over again you know mm-hmm. um so so yeah so it worked out well and i was you know of course thrilled when you came back yeah all right um so as we close i just want to ask you uh, to if you would share with our listeners something from you know your experience through life as far as how to handle trying times and struggles you know what what because you've had several since then of course we all we all have you know 
in yeah. our lives, multiple, you know, crises. Um, what is your way of dealing with things? Oh, that you, you would advise and almost, you know, inspire other people to, to not give up and, and, uh, you know, I get the best. I would say it's easy when you're in a tough spot to just keep it to yourself and not talk to anyone and just say, you know, that's so easy just to say, Oh, I'm going to deal with this on my own, or I'm just going to give up, you know, and keep it to myself. But if you keep that line of communication open with family and friends and loved ones, it makes you feel a whole lot better. And then it gets you out of that funk. I love it. All right. Thank you very much, John. And uh, as again, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Uh, I always learn more. We've known each other quite some time, but it's always nice to, to learn more about you and, and what you've been through and how you felt about it. Um, and I just want to wish you well. Well, Mark, I appreciate it. And you've always been a great person to talk to to get, get me out of those funks and get me back on the right track. Well, anytime, my friend. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks again. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode of Empowering Existence. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. That helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Once again, thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode.